When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. They don't fool around. That's why people trust them. I know. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. All right, Matthew Collins, Jess Myers, back 1500 ESPN. We are in for Mackey and Judd today. And with the news out that Sam Bradford, I guess he says his knee feels good, and Mike Zimmer said he's not going to practice this week, but he will practice next week and could be ready to be a backup quarterback. Um, Are you allowed to have three quarterbacks anymore be active at the same time? I feel like I thought there was like a rule of only having two, but I could be wrong about that what the rule is with quarterbacks. So that if they'd have to decide on Bridgewater or Bradford, or if they could just have them both, but maybe having them both doesn't give you any sort of advantage. List I, list one of them as a punter. What are they going to do? Yeah, there? right. Well, we've got two punters today. Yep. Uh, well, uh, I guess there's a joke in there about Bradford. Yeah, they did plenty of punting with Bradford. Um, with uh, it, it will be a hard decision if Bradford is 100%. I tend to think that... Um, Mike Zimmer would lean toward Bridgewater since he's been practicing this entire time. But the one time we saw Sam Bradford, he was unbelievable against the Saints. And if you're playing the Saints in a playoff game and Bradford's been practicing and he looks great, then maybe you say, all right, well, the last time he faced the Saints, so just in case we've got to use him, he shredded them and maybe he'll do that again. Uh, Will... I don't expect them to have to play either one of them because Keenum is so awful. But as we talked a lot about earlier, the meltdowns that have happened, the bad moments that have happened in Minnesota Vikings playoff history, the one thing that keeps coming up from people is, well, if I was going to imagine a scenario in which the Vikings blow it, it's going to be a Case Keenum pick six that he makes a bad read or that he floats a ball out there. And instead of being dropped by the Bengals or dropped by the Packers, it's a playoff team and they catch it and run all the way. Um, I, if from all that we've seen about case Keenum, the sample size has gotten bigger of him playing pretty well, but are we at the point where we think we know exactly what we have with Keenum and we can trust that's what he's going to be in the playoffs. Or do we still feel like that other shoe is going to drop? With Brett Favre, you knew what you had. You knew you had a gunslinger, a guy who was going to try and make a play. He was going to try and create something out of nothing, no matter what was going on. So when Brett Favre threw an ill-advised pass across his body uh, late in a playoff game, tied when he could have run for the first down, yes, there was huge disappointment, but everybody kind of went, oh, yeah, that's right. That's what we signed on for. Bernard Berrien's open, too. Yeah. Drop it off. Yeah. Um, 
with Case Keenum, number one, we've never seen him in a playoff game before. No, has anyone seen him in a playoff game before? Unless you, you know, are going back to a University of Houston bowl game. And they might have played in the gallaryfurniture.com bowl, by <laughs> Could the way. Have been. He had a um, great, his final game in college, he threw for over 500 yards and they upset Penn State. So that's the only sort of playoff football that we have from him, really. So, you know... I don't know that people trust Case Keenum just in the simple fact that they don't know a lot about him. But by the same token, you have no reason to distrust him because you haven't seen, you know, those ill-advised throws cost you. Yes, you've seen interceptions in the hands of guys that have been dropped. But, you know, that's that's like a long fly ball that almost was a home run. Well, yeah, but it wasn't. So what difference does it make? Um, you know, you can't put those on your resume, good or bad. So... Probably not. People probably don't trust him, but they have no reason to distrust him, is is what I'm saying. The history matters a lot with this, and his history is a guy who was amazing in college, but is undersized, doesn't have the greatest arm, doesn't have the greatest throwing mechanics, doesn't have the greatest accuracy, and has inherited a team that is propped up is disrespectful to him, but I can't think of a better way to phrase it. That you go from a guy when he was on mediocre or bad teams or teams that weren't coached well like the Rams, he's not going to be so good that he's going to rise that team up to be competitive. Uh, And he's also a guy that's had some stretches in his career that have made you think, well, this guy can be a pretty good quarterback when he first came on with Houston. And then the longer sample, the bigger sample, and the longer he played, the more some of his shortcomings showed up. And where I would worry a little bit about Case Keenum is the injury to Nick Easton. It sounds like such a small thing. Well, you're going to lose a left guard. You're going to plug in somebody else. But Easton was a big part of their short passing game and their screen game. And he's created some big plays for them on key blocks where he went flying out and and hit a safety or hit a linebacker and created big room for easy yards after catch. And now when you're plugging in Jeremiah Searles, who's a big burly guy, uh, from Nebraska, I think, right? So it's just this this big monster guy. It's a little bit different. You can't do the same things. And if you've got, I know for a fact that Pat Elfline is not 100% because he needed help taking off his gear the other day. And Riley Reef might not be at 100% either battling the ankle injury. If everything isn't ticking exactly how it needs to be, if Stefan Diggs uh, re-injures his groin or something or whatever could happen, then I think you get really concerned when if the team is at 100%, then it's going to be really hard for anyone to stop them because they can run the ball so well because they can drop off short passes and then hit the occasional deep ball. And we've seen Keenum do all that stuff. The thing that would worry you is if they're, if somebody goes down or if something's not going right or the game in Washington where he tried to make big plays by himself and it's always there with the Brett Favre thing. It's always there. Guys who do it will always do it. Just like the opposite thing. Guys who get scared and dump the ball off every time, they'll always do that. And you make one of those risky throws in the playoffs against a really good team, that that could be the end of you. So I, I think if you're a Vikings fan out there thinking, all right, how are we going to blow it? It's going to be that or the only other one might be uh, Kai Forbath missed the extra point. But it's going to be that. It's going to be that case. Keenum. I think that that's fair to have that at the very top of your list because I can't come up with anything else where you'd really be scared of. Although the one thing uh, that you said about you know the potential for like a Stefan Diggs injury, 
I am never ceased to be amazed by the unbelievable wealth this team has at the wide receiver position. Not oh, just yeah. the wide receiver position, but you know, we throw Kyle Rudolph in there because I think it's been proven time and again, especially in goal line situations, Rudolph is Keenum's favorite target. I mean, he just yep. loves finding that guy in the corner of the end zone. So when you add, you know, Diggs to the mix and then Thielen and then, you know, uh, like uh, Laquan Treadwell, who we still haven't seen anywhere near the promise out of, but is a guy that can catch passes, I think, and can go over the middle. And, um, you know, there's just so many options for this team if they decide to throw the ball. They do love that nice, quick underneath pass or something out to the tight end. You know, not quite a screen pass, but, you know, something a couple yards down the field. Don't discount the value of that. Um, You know, this goes back a long time. But the 1986 Pro Bowl had Tommy Kramer playing in it because he had the best year of his career finding Steve Jordan four yards downfield and letting Jordan run with the ball, you know, finding a tight end Mm -hmm. that can do that kind of work for you. So I like that option for this team. Plus, the two-headed running back monster they have is is just fun, you know, because they're both effective and they're both so different uh, the way they run the ball. I think you should be just as nervous this week as you will with the playoffs that someone will get hurt. Sure. This team has been talked about as having gone through adversity, losing their starting quarterback, and that's not wrong because they lost Sam Bradford and Keenum came in. Outside of that, they have had no other catastrophic injuries other than Delvin Cook, but they have they had a pro bowler, and they had Jarek McKinnon, who we knew was a, a good secondary back, so they haven't lost a ton there. Outside of that, the line has been completely healthy. Outside of, hey, this guy missed a couple games, this guy missed a couple games, but... For the most part, they've had four out of the five starters, been much healthier than last year. The defense has been 100% healthy. Who's missed a game? Everson Griffin missed one, and that's the only thing I can come up with. Xavier Rhodes has been there. Harrison Smith has been there. Daniel Hunter, the linebackers, Anthony Barr, Eric Kendricks. I mean, none of these guys have even had to miss a game, and that's one reason why they're number one in the NFL in defense. If something happens in this game against Chicago— then you go into the playoffs potentially much weaker than you were before. You would almost, if you had the choice, I think you would say you'd rather come out 100% healthy than win. I think it's that, Absolutely. I think it's that important to them. Well, unless not winning means you're going to have to play a playoff game the first round of the, of the playoffs. Well, I think I'd rather play an extra game. I think I would rather play an extra game at 100% healthy than lose Adam Thielen or lose Harrison Smith or lose Everson Griffin. And for for people you know who don't have that sense of history, and I keep bringing up you know trips to the Wayback Machine, here's five words to describe what a dominating defense can do for you in the NFL playoffs. And people may have forgotten this because it goes back to 2001. Super Bowl champion Trent Dilfer. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, that that Ravens team that won the won the title in 2001 beat the Giants, you know, would have beaten probably would have beaten the Vikings if the Vikings had not lost the 41 nothing game. Um was all about defense. You know, Dilfer was a placeholder. Dilfer was don't screw this up and let the defense win it for you. And that's I think what you potentially have with this Vikings defense. I talked a while ago about, uh, you know, I, I think the Vikings would be licking their chops to see the Eagles in the playoffs. When I watched that Eagles game the other night, you've got a team that runs the ball a little bit, which is the Vikings' specialty, is stopping the run, and then cannot throw the ball, or at least didn't show that they can throw the ball uh, with any kind of confidence in Nick Foles as your quarterback. Um, that's a recipe for success in the playoffs if you can stop those two things. With the Trent Dilfer example, 
where it's a lot different with this team is that the offensive numbers are are good for the Vikings. Absolutely. It's just what are the circumstances that they've needed for those to be good, which is everybody be healthy. And I get so caught up on football cliches and so frustrated by them. But when these guys talk about how important the run game is, sometimes your eyes just roll back in your head. Oh, okay, run game, sure. Like, yeah, there's Aaron Rodgers throwing for 5,000 yards or whatever over there, and you're talking about the run game. But the run game for this team is everything. It's where everything starts for them. And I thought, I think Mike Zimmer felt this way too, that when Delvin Cook went down, if Latavius Murray doesn't bounce back from that tough start, you are going to be in really rough shape. But he has. And I think Latavius Murray has been as valuable as anybody else to be able to pound the ball and create the play-action plays and things like that that they've had a lot of success throwing with. And you just cannot lose anybody in this game in order to be a contending team for a Super Bowl because all the other teams have great quarterbacks and they'll make up for some of their problems, I think. Even if it whether it's Russell Wilson or Matt Ryan or whether it's Goff in that offense... You're, you're facing someone really, really good in a playoff game, Drew Brees, that you're going to need to be 100% in order to beat them. It's kind of like if you're the Wild, where you go into a playoff series and they've got Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane, and you don't. So everything has to go your way. Uh, Mike Golick Jr. from ESPN coming in next. Uh, we'll talk to him about the NFL playoffs, and I want to get his opinion on the big picture of college football. I just love sitting back and watching college bowl games, but there's a lot of debate on whether the playoff system should change. Jess Myers, Matthew Collar, in for Mackie and Judd. Mackie and Judd now continue. Get the name right, and then if you're lucky, it'll appear. On 1500 ESPN. Matthew Collar. And Jess Myers in here for Mackie and Judd joining us from ESPN, Mike Golick Jr. Mike, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you guys? Happy holidays. Happy holidays to you. Can you explain why your old buddy Harrison Smith is not in the Pro Bowl, Mike? You know what? I have been deep diving through X's and O's. I have <laughs> talked to advanced analytics people. I have spoken to a warrior priestess and a couple of mystics, and none of them can provide me the answers that I seek in this area. So I'm just going to go ahead and assume that people had a little too much holiday food. They got gone off the cookies. There was a lot of ham involved early on when the voting was taking place, and people just flat out made a mistake. Is that the only thing I can come to? Mike, I generally wouldn't care. I mean, Pro Bowl snubs, yeah, yeah, it gives us something to talk about for a day, and I just sort of roll my eyes. But that one was so ludicrous that I can't let it go, and clearly neither could he from what he did the other night uh, with an interception and blowing up screen passes. I mean, he's always a motivated guy, but it looked like he even took it to the next level there. Is there is there something different we should do with the Pro Bowl to make it a little more relevant or to make the the voting a little better or are we just gonna hate this thing till the end of time i think this is something we're just born and predisposed to hate at this point and there's so much that's been tinkered with and done with it over the years and all of us let it let us back to the same place where i think there's always going to be instances like this and i think in particular with guys like harrison and this goes for a couple of my former teammates a lot of this happened in college with zach barton who's obviously now enjoyed a wealth of success with the Cowboys, but guys like this who are so focused on what they do, they go about their business the right way, and they don't let these things bother them. These accolades really don't matter all that much to guys like Zach, to guys like Harrison, who know their worth and are so much more focused on doing what they can do for the team. 
so it makes you care more on their behalf because you understand these guys don't really need it and you want it that much more for them for that reason. And so I think that's a lot of it. That's a big part of it with Harrison is you see this guy that tends to be the quiet leader and is so focused on doing things for the team and does. He is, he is unbelievably important on that secondary coming up in a racing plays the way we've watched him since he was in college. And for that reason, I think we care that much more, but that's not going to change anytime soon. I don't know if there's any amount of you know, tinkering or more fan vote or more player input, which is something people always clamor for, that's really going to always address the ills that pop up like this. Mike, it's Jess Myers. Let me ask you this. Here in Minnesota, we're gearing up for that Sunday Vikings-Bears game, last uh, regular season home game for the Vikings. We're also bundling up, by the way, because it's unbelievably cold here right now. But let me read you a quote and tell me what you think of this. The quote is, I've never had trouble getting employment in this league, and I'm not going to start worrying about it now. That's John Fox when he was asked about his job security in, in Chicago. Is, uh, is this a guy who's checked out, and is he going to be coaching somewhere next year, somewhere else next year? You know, I think he's a guy who's been around this game long enough to know that this isn't a marriage that's going to last beyond the last game of the season here. And I think that's what you're sort of seeing as a guy who's a bit of a realist, but also understands that, listen, the best mark on a resume for someone looking for work in the NFL is to have already been a coach in the NFL. So he's probably right in the fact that someone is going to give John Fox work somewhere in this league. I just don't ultimately believe it's going to be in Chicago after this season. And, and this is what we've seen happen more and more across the league, is especially when young quarterbacks are involved and you're on the cusp of having to make a big decision of, all right, we just sunk you know that top pick, one of those top picks, into a guy that we think could be our franchise guy. Is this the guy at the helm that we want molding that ball of clay into our franchise quarterback? And if the answer is no, and if you have the results in this case this season to back it up, you make that move and you make that move quickly because we understand and have seen coaching decisions made not always right. I mean, the, the dirt cutters and Ben McAdoo's of the world were made with same decisions in mind of pleasing quarterbacks on the roster. It doesn't always work, but we know that drives decision-making. Matthew Collar, Jess Myers in for Mackie and Judd with uh, Mike Golick Jr. from ESPN. Uh, are you buying Mitchell Trubisky stock at this point? Uh, you know what? I'm holding on to the stock I have, and I, I'm not buying anymore, but I'm not getting rid of it yet either. This is a kid who is basically in the same position we saw and now just has a little bit more experience underneath his belt. He's got the same traits. He moves well out of the pocket. He's athletic. He throws a good ball all these different things. And what you've seen at least, I think the biggest thing to glean from him over the season is that he's a guy who's comfortable with the role. That was something that we looked at Derek Goff last year and said, this guy looks like he's wearing his big brother's shoulder pads. He doesn't look like he's in the same league with a bunch of grown men out there. And then this year with a different coach and a different philosophy and different parts around him, he has been resurgent and he's been part of a huge jump. With Mitchell, you've heard a lot about his command in the huddle. You've heard a lot about him sort of going out there and not only earning but demanding respect along the way as the leader of that offense from guys on his team, even veteran guys, and that's something that's been appreciated. So I think if you take that mentality and now probably infuse it with new coaching and new people coming into that building, I think you've got a guy with traits that you can take and still form into a, a, a franchise quarterback. And I was talking to Field Yates the other day who said when he was a scout, that's the one thing. 
He said, we draft traits. We don't draft production. And Mitchell mm-hmm. has taken those traits and shown that they translate at least in part at the NFL level so far. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of that Bears situation. It looks to me like it's got Rams 2017 written all over it. Like they could be the team that next year takes the big step and whoever their fresh, hot new co- uh, coach is, is in the coach of the year conversation. Uh, Mike, the way that fans are viewing this team now is they're kind of just waiting for something to go wrong because that's how they are here in Minnesota after seeing so many things go wrong. I don't know who you grew up rooting for. Did you ever have that feeling where you went into the playoffs or based on history or just the, or maybe that's just the way you view sports where you felt like, yep, this, this isn't going to go our way. This is just too good to believe like with the Vikings uh, with the potential of playing the Super Bowl at home. Well, listen, growing up, I was a, a pro fan of the Philadelphia Eagles back in the early 2000s when it was NFC Championship every year. But you kind of knew that was the ceiling for the most part with the exception of that one Super Bowl year. and That ultimately got Andy Reid out of town. But, I mean, hell, I've been a Notre Dame fan my whole life. If you want to talk about the story of Notre Dame football since that last title, it's been waiting for the other shoe to drop the way that happened to us this year. And you can understand that. The thing that would give me a little more hope is, your situation is really not abnormal, especially in the NFC this year. Outside of the New Orleans Saints and Drew Brees, you don't have quarterbacks that have gotten over that Super Bowl hump. You've got guys that have been there from the NFC South. But in general, with everyone else, the Philadelphia Eagles are a team that I would knock out of Super Bowl contention right now based on what we've seen mm-hmm. with Nick Foles having to step in late these last couple of games. And then you look at the Rams and Jared Goff, and while he's done very well this year, you understand that that may not just be all golf in that one. So for people that want to isolate Case Keenum and make him the unknown and the wild card and the problem, you've had that guy that's been doing it all season. And at some point, like the Atlanta Falcons that we mentioned, you are who you've been the whole year. And we can talk about Atlanta and that offense and what we think it could be and what it's on the cusp of, but we know what it is at this point, and that's probably going to be the case. With Case Keenum, you can talk about it waiting for him to implode or be less than he's been, or you can look at it and say, man, you know what? This guy, for the most part, has been pretty consistently productive this season. And he may not be a world beater, but he's a guy that's made more than well enough use of the weapons around him, and they are plentiful, maybe better than he's ever had any time in his career. Maybe that's just who he is, too, and that's going to be good enough for you. You know, I never realized how much I said, and that's the case, or that could be the case, until Case Keenum took over as quarterback. <laughs> Keep in mind, Vikings fans are coming off. Uh, uh, Vikings fans are coming off having a quarterback where they kept pondering whether he'd be any oh, good. So geez. we've been oh, down man. this road. That's, so. that's yeah. brutal, Mike. I, one of uh, my favorite things when you come on with uh, Mackie and Judd every week um, is that they could throw anything at you. So I'll throw this at you too. College playoff system. We're getting ready for it. I know you're a big college football guy. Do you like it the way it is? Should it be changed? I mean, it just seems like we're always changing everything all the time, and that's fine with me if it's for the better. But I kind of like it the way it is with a Final Four. How do you feel about it? I do, too. Listen, I understand people are going to clamor for expansion and all these things, but I don't see anything wrong with the place we've landed in college football now. I understand people want to talk about a devalued bowl system, but really people are looking at value there selfishly. They're not looking at the value that the system has really always presented because I don't see bowl games as any more or less inherently meaningful now than they were when I was a player back in the BCS era. The bowl game, you know the haves and the have-nots when it comes to bowl season. We've just got a little clearly defined maybe 
step up in the section of halves. I think you open it up to eight and you get a lot of the same conversations with more teams and you get that chance where now you've got all conference champions with buy-in. I don't really care all that much about that because at the end of the day, this is the system that people wanted. If you wanted absolutes, you would have kept those computers, but we wanted subjectivity. We wanted some degree of barbershop banter when it came to this. Our problem is, and the problem with most people that complain, is it's not their input that's being directly heard in this. It's that group of 13 people whose resumes we deemed worthy of being on that committee. And so anytime you leave it in someone else's hands, it's always going to be ridiculed. It's always going to be parsed through a little bit more than I think it deserves to. I'm cool with where we're at, and, and I think more people should sit down and accept it because this is what they asked for. And as soon as it gets here, we find a new complaint because, <laughs> hell, it's 2017, borderline 2018. That's just kind of how we get down. Yeah, I was going to say, I think you just described everything all the time. Uh, but... <laughs> Mike, awesome stuff. Great to have you on. Hope you're, uh, you and the family have a great holiday. Hey, you guys too. Stay warm. Mike Golick Jr. there with us. Jess and Matt in for uh, Mackie and Judd. Always one of my favorite guests when he comes on with uh, Mackie and Judd. Because of that because of that reason where he could just, hey, what do you think about this? And uh, always uh, opinionated and smart. Speaking of that, John Krasinski is going to talk some basketball with us when we come back here uh, on 1500 ESPN. Phil Mackie. Treble. Sensitive, artistic. Judd Zolgad. To alcohol, the cause of and solution to all of life's problems. Mackie and Judd on 1500 ESPN. If you haven't gotten enough of my witty banter so far, Dave, uh, you can tune in tonight. 6 p.m., The Great Outdoors Show. I'm the co-host along with Dennis Anderson. We talk all things hunting, fishing, outdoors. And, you know, you think at this time of year, who would want to go outdoors? But you would be surprised at the amount of cross-country skiing, hiking, you know, all kinds of winter activities. That's one thing every time we get the Super Bowl to come here, they always seem to say is, you know, Minnesotans don't hibernate. We get out there. We we, we do stuff in the winter. We, we get outdoors. And the great thing about weather like this, we're making ice for the ice fishermen out there the, or the, and women who, who like to get out and ice fish. Uh, the last few days have been fantastic because those lakes are getting safer. Ice is never truly safe. We don't we don't claim that. But uh, 6 p.m. tonight, we're going to talk uh, a little bit of hunting. We're going to talk a little bit of outdoor guiding on the Great Outdoors Show with Dennis Anderson and I. So you're saying don't sue you. If I go out on the ice, fall through and die, don't blame you for that. Ice is never truly safe is okay. what we always say. There are weird things. There are currents. There are springs. You know, you could have a, a week of 40 below and some areas there will be, you know, two feet of ice and some areas there will be two inches. So you, you can never trust uh, ice to, to be safe. Uh, I'm indoors breaking down game tape. So if you do that, that's fine with me. John Krasinski uh, of The Athletic now comes uh, in with us. John, how are you? Doing good, fellas, and uh, I. One of the reasons that I love basketball so much is it's played indoors. <laughs> yeah. Stay inside during the winter time. Uh, when when is the NBA going to have a stadium series? Come on, let's get this going. Couple of outdoor <laughs> winter games, you know? Why uh, not? Why not? Hey, that'd be. That, I, I would pay to watch that on my couch. I would do that. So. <laughs> well, I mean, they could do it in warm weather, like they played that college basketball game on the uh, aircraft carrier, uh, John. The other day, uh, Doogie and I were in here yesterday, and, and we were talking about the beginning of the season with the Wild, and or I'm sorry, the uh, the Wolves, and I, and I was asking Doogie, why is it that my Twitter, every time there's a Wolves game, melts down, even when they win by 20 points? Why is that happening? Well, I, I will say that the, the times that they win by 20 are few and far between. They just This is a team that plays a lot of close games, and so there is some angst there. I just, I do think that 
there were a couple of things and, and still are a couple of things that are conspiring uh, almost against this team right now. One is is that, unfortunately for them, and it's not their fault, but this, team, this basketball community has been suffering for a long, long time now, 13 years. And so when they believe that there is something that can maybe end that suffering or at least get them to the playoffs and get them a taste of it, I think there's there's ramped up expectations. They want more. They want they want everything right now. They're tired of being tormented. And so when things are not going incredibly smoothly, then they say, well, why isn't it better? Why isn't it immediately going to be the greatest thing ever? And so there's some impatience there. And then also this team sometimes is hard to watch. I mean, they do play a grinded-out style Uh I think earlier in the season especially, it was evident that all of the players weren't necessarily on the same page and kind of were butting heads a little bit and and trying to figure each other out. And so it's not an aesthetically pleasing product on the court always. Now, the good news is is that they've gotten through all of this, all of these issues, or not, or, or they've they've been dealing with all these issues, and they got a bunch of wins on the table, and they're twenty-one and thirteen. So. If they can figure it all out and get on the same page, it could really be something fun to watch. It's just it has been a real grind through these first 38 games or, or, or whatever they're at right now, 35 games. John Krasinski joining us. He's with The Athletic. Uh, John, uh, I've got a theory about Tibbs, that Tibbs never opens himself up to the fans at all. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. basketball basketball hey what'd you do for christmas i did basketball that's what i did don't ask me about which is that. true they had a game on they christmas did, day they did they did uh but my with mike zimmer i see this all the time where zimmer shows off a sensitive side enough to bring in the fans to feel like they've got an idea of who's coaching them as opposed to tibbs that is so just basketball guy he doesn't make himself a likable figure which i think impacts the way he gets criticized by fans yeah, I do think that affects his public approval rating, no question. I mean, he is he he comes off, he's not a robot, but he comes off as a robot. And and when he's in public, I think he is very careful about what he says in his messaging. And and so, you know, I think one of the last things that he wants is to ever do an availability with the media and then have empower the writers or Deadspin or ESPN or whoever to put Thibodeau colon said this inflammatory thing. He He's very much looking to avoid that kind of a thing. And so he keeps things very close to the vest. And I do think it also kind of impacts how the fans absorb even the winning because after a lot of victories, there's not many smiles on his face. It's, it's very much, we have to do this better and uh, we didn't do this well and 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 we have we need more consistency and all those things, which he is right about. But it's just in the presentation of the message that sometimes gets fans, I think, wondering about. Man, this guy really is a grump. And if you talk to players behind the scenes in practices and in film sessions and things, he is not the way that he is publicly. And and so um, he he just has this public persona that is bred from. His demeanor, both on the court, which is very volatile, and then his kind of um, droll demeanor off the court in in press conferences, and fans do feed off of that. 
and 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 it does affect how they think about the job that is being done, whether that's right or wrong. And he's also unwilling to go, like you said, he's unwilling to go over the top, too. That, you know, with Bruce right. Boudreaux, every couple of weeks we've got Bruce Boudreaux saying, we embarrassed ourselves, that effort is unacceptable, and just going into the land of hyperbole. And we know Mike Zimmer will just say whatever on his mind. And he's made a number of those headlines. And I think that the Minnesotan fans enjoy that sort of blunt honesty that we get from those two coaches, and it makes them likable figures. And with Tibbs, he refuses to go out. You could lose by 50, and I, you wouldn't see him in a post-game press conference saying, we embarrassed ourselves or going over the top. He would just be talking about the pick and roll. Yeah, there's there's only been a couple of times in his first two years here where he has really kind of, I thought, um, dropped the hammer. And most of it was last year where you know he would say, hey, this is unacceptable, and I'm going to keep coming at them, and we're going to get this thing figured out. And you could you could feel the tension, and you could feel the anger and frustration inside of him. But he is very much of the Bill Belichick school. He's a huge fan and friend of Bill Belichick, and he is always just kind of the even keeled level approach. I mean, there's one time I think he snapped at a question um, at, for that Jerry Zago to ask while he was on the road a couple weeks ago. But um, that that's 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 a rare thing for him. That's just that's his way, and I do think that he, I think that he thinks if he were to go the Boudreaux route or the Zimmer route or things like that, it would feel inauthentic, and I think players would pick up on that fairly quickly, and that might do more to damage what he's trying to accomplish with them than to help at all. And, and he's just not going to worry about, you know, what fans say or what you know what is written about him and things like that. He's He's just going to move on and do things the way that, that, that he feels they need to be done to get the job done. John, looking at the schedule, uh, back-to-backs the next two nights, uh, Denver in town tonight, the the Nuggets, and then uh, on to Milwaukee tomorrow night for a game with the Bucks. I was thinking about this. The Wild have been around since 2000, and one thing that was really lost when the North Stars moved was that great rivalry the North Stars and Blackhawks had. The Wild don't really have an arch rival 17 years on or whatever it is, although they've had some kind of bad blood with the Colorado Avalanche, so some people have made that case. Do the Timberwolves have, is there a big game? You know, I'm thinking, is Denver a big game because they're maybe the closest rival in the Western Conference? Or, you know, have they tried to make something out of the Bucks rivalry because Minnesota-Wisconsin, you think Vikings-Packers, you think Gophers-Badgers. Is there a, is there a big game on the schedule for Wild uh, for Wolves fans? Yeah, not, not really, Jess. And, and it, it's a lot of it has to do with geographically, just like the Wild, because I think if the Wolves played, if they were able to realign the conferences, and I know that there are people inside the Timberwolves organization that have pushed for this for years, and it just isn't happening, to get them with Chicago and Milwaukee and Detroit and kind of, or Indiana, kind of that, that heartland uh, Midwest type of thing where, where, where everyone is kind of compact and you, you get to play these guys a lot of times. I think there would be maybe more of a chance of a rivalry type of a thing developing, but you're right. Like, I mean, they're in the Northwest Division, so it's Denver and Portland and Oklahoma City and I mean these places that are far away in different time zones and, and all of those things. Milwaukee they play them twice a year. There's just not that uh, frequency to develop a rival, the, the true rivalries. And I think in the NBA in general there are fewer and fewer of the true rivalries. But you do see some of them. I mean certainly Golden State and Cleveland has turned into a 
into into a rivalry by virtue of frequency and the stakes with which they play. Um, you know, the the Clippers have had a, a rivalry with the Warriors a little bit. Um, there's there's several of them out there, but I think the Wolves have just been hindered so much by just where the guys that they play, the teams that they play most often reside, um, that there isn't that closeness. There's not a lot of people from Denver who live in Minnesota who are going to show up at the game tonight in Nuggets gear like they would, you know, with Packers or Bears or Lions or, you know, things like that. I mean, they're just, they, it just isn't, that doesn't happen. And unless they realign, um, I, I just don't see that really developing anytime soon. John, one more thing for you. Um, with with this Wolves team right now, I think the, I, I look at Christmas as the unofficial midway point, so we're not quite to that um, that number of games yet. But my, my question is, in the second half of the season, they've got some tough matchups coming up and all that, but what does this team have to do to get themselves into the conversation for one of the best teams in the Western Conference? I know you're not going to be Houston. I know you're not going to be Golden State because nobody is Golden State. But right now, even though they're at the top of their division, it doesn't feel like they're even talked about as, oh, yeah, you better watch out for this team. What do they have to do to get there? Yeah, I think, Matthew, that they, they, they have to win. They have to get some signature victories, and that can sometimes feel like a kind of a trite uh, phrase or, or goal or angle, but it really is the case because here, when you, if you started the season and said at this exact point after Christmas the Wolves are going to be 21-13, and 13, everyone in the world would have signed up for it. But um, I do think that most of their victories are coming – against lesser competition, and, and so um, that's just the way the schedule has played out so far. In January, they play Houston, they play Cleveland, they play Boston, they play Chicago. They play, I mean, Chicago's not good, but they're playing well right now. Um, they, they play a bunch of teams that are ahead of them in the standings, and, and so that's going to be the chance to really see if the improvement they've shown over the last couple of weeks, which is palpable, and they're, they're defending better, they're playing better in the fourth quarter, they seem to have a little bit more improved chemistry, but all of the, that has come you know, with wins over Phoenix and the Lakers and, and teams like that. The win at Denver last week was a really good one, but they need more of those. They need to step up in their weight class and punch with the big boys and get a couple of those victories, and then I think you'll see more belief You'll see kind of a more enthusiasm develop because they just they, they just they, they beat San Antonio once and, and Denver on the road and other than that there hasn't been a whole lot of quality victories and so there's still people wondering is this for real are you know are they really 21 and 13 but we're gonna find out pretty quickly in January just uh, how legit they are right now. John, how are you enjoying your uh, uh, your new gig, the Athletic? How are, how are you liking it? Yeah, I, I like it. Thanks for asking. I mean, you know, it's it's been um, it's been fun to work with Mike Russo. It's been you know it's given me a, a chance to get a little more in depth to to write with a little more um, detail and and examination of of issues and maybe even a little more color um, than I was at at the Associated Press and and I think we're doing really good work. And then we have Ken Rosenthal and Tim Kawakami and Marcus Thompson and. Jason Lloyd and 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 all of these Seth Davis and all these great writers that are with us, you know, uh, it, it, with our group across the country, and it really does push you to to try and stand out and 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 produce really good stuff. And and so so far it's so good. I've been really thankful for all the support I've gotten from readers in the Twin Cities and across the country, and 
hopefully people keep on checking us out at theathletic.com slash MN for Minnesota and, and, uh, and, and enjoy our stuff and, and let us know what, what you think and what you want. Well, John, I like that you're becoming a football guy now, that you're out there. Are you breaking down game tape, too, or are you grinding film when you get home? You know, I, I'm trying to, <laughs> to stay in my lane, Matthew. You know, I like, I, I like to write the personalities and, and, and get into that kind of stuff, but I'll leave, I'll leave the tape grinding to you and Pelissero and those guys, the experts, because I think I'd just make a fool of myself if I tried to do that. John, John, if I know you, you're busy at your son's youth hockey games anyway, right? Is that, is that, is that accurate? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. He he can't get enough of the ice. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm Offer, always, always offers on the table. Trying to find that out. You know so. the offers on the table when he needs his first hockey skates. You let me know. I'm there for you. I, I, I will do that as long as they have wireless in the arenas. They're at the rinks, <laughs> and I can work from there. Let's do it. All right, John. Thanks for popping on, buddy. Thanks, boys. I'll talk to you soon. John Krasinski there with the Athletic. We'll take a quick break. Come back. Wrap it all up here. Jess and Matt in for Mackie Judd. Mackie and Judd now continue. It's that time again. On 1500 ESPN. Hey, you want to win a 55-inch TCL Roku TV? You just joined Johnny Height at Main Street Bar and Grill in Hopkins 2-4 to four on Monday, New Year's Day. The first for the ultimate college football viewing party with Dos Equis. Come enjoy a nice cold one. Register to win that brand new TV. But game day over everything this college football season with Dos Equis, the official beer sponsor of the college football playoffs. More details at 1500ESPN.com, keyword events. All right, thanks, Dave. We've had some fun the last couple of days. Um, I came in this morning bragging to you guys about someone who I think is taking the lead for my best Twitter follower, and I don't mean burner accounts. What you have now is these millennial sports players. They figured out that you just create a fake account. You can follow whoever you want to see what people are saying about you. So Kevin Durant got caught doing this, defending himself under a fake name to other people. But I think that I have now my top Twitter follow, Cheryl Reeve, head coach of the Lynx. You guys got a top Twitter follow? I was going to brag about Chuck Knobloch, but apparently he follows everybody. And, you know, <laughs> we Chuck haven't Knob- had a, 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 I mean. Could no. you brag about Chuck Knobloch anyway? Sure. No. No. Isn't well, he hated here? AL, AL Division Series MVP in 1991. I mean, come people, on. I thought people didn't like him here. No, people people turned on him. Uh, you know, he left town. He went to the Yankees. There was there was a famous Twins Yankees game in like April or May one year where he was in the outfield throwing batteries for the Yankees. No, it was Dollar Dog Night. Oh, he was getting pelted by hot dogs, <laughs> and Joe Torre actually pulled his team off the field. Oh, right. Okay. And uh, I, it was funny. I remember working this game. I got assigned to the to talk to the crew chief mm-hmm. to ask him. You know, I was the pool reporter. Yeah. And I said, you know, were you close to calling this game at any point? He said, well, no. I said, why not? He said, well, this will date me a little bit. He said, but I worked Disco Demolition Night, the famous <laughs> yes. the famous White Sox game that had to be called because so many you know albums were being thrown on the field. Uh, so he said, by comparison, this was pretty small potatoes. <laughs> but do you have a top Twitter follower other than Chuck Knobloch? Yeah. Or is that it? Chuck you know, Knobloch I, is your top. I'm looking through my Twitter followers right now, and granted, I don't have a ton of them. I'm only at like 3,200. I'm not like one of you guys, but... Uh, no, nothing. Nothing pops to mind right now. I'm, I'll, I'll keep looking. How, how about you, uh, Dave? Anybody? Well, I'm at 884 Twitter <laughs> followers. I just checked. Yeah, we're nearing a thousand. It's big. Uh, not John Krasinski follows me. Not so like a fake John Krasinski. Account? Yeah, that's pretty big. How do you fake being John Krasinski? Uh, you right. I've for been faking being John Krasinski for years. La I just can't pull it off. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, uh, Chip Scoggins followed me recently. That's pretty good. Uh, that's okay. Yeah. Uh, somebody named Shelley. <laughs> Uh, Josh. Well, I have. Oh, there's a Brian. 
I have twenty one thousand five hundred, so I, I've got a got a handful. Cheryl, Cheryl Reed is, is the best among He's that many. Well, sports wow. person of the year. Well, Absolutely. I think, so the other day I did a list of just the power ranked the top ten Minnesota athletes, and I discovered from Twins fans that they didn't like Miguel Sano being on the list. I went with the guy who I think is the most dangerous hitter over Buxton, who only hit in the second half and over Dozier who has done a great job in the last two seasons. There's nothing you could take away from him. Just Sano, I thought took that next step to being the superstar player. So I put him on that, but I had number one was Maya. And I don't even think that's debatable. No, absolutely not. Like We're talking about one of the greatest basketball players to ever play who hit a huge shot in the championship game, shot 52% from three in the title and is an, Amazing representative for the city, too. I mean, just like you couldn't design a sports star it's better. Fun, it's fun watching Maya Moore, too, because she's so cool about everything. Oh, Nothing yeah. rattles her. It's fun yeah. watching Lindsay Whalen because she lets emotion play into the yeah. game. She gets angry, and when she gets angry, look out. But Maya's so cool about everything. Okay, I looked it up just because I just saw her on TV because we're watching the NHL Network. Jamie Hirsch follows me on Twitter oh, okay, from NHL Network. I'm, I'm going with Jamie as my as my number one follower. I just you. picked up follower number 885, Dan. So that's job. big, well, too. Welcome big. aboard, Dan. Dan. Yes. Enjoy the ride. Thanks, guys. We're wild. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar or pie made with fresh Cosmic Crisp apples, there are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Bakers, fresh for everyone.